1: On this episode of The Family Business Voice, we continue our coverage of the COVID 19 crisis with perspectives from Africa's family business community. Two of Africa Family Firms' founding members, Nike Anani and Tsitsi Mutendi, join us this week from Lagos, Nigeria, and Harare, Zimbabwe, respectively. Nike is a speaker, author, next gen coach, and mentor, as well as a next gen family member executive in her parents' businesses and family office. Since the start of this outbreak, her mission to protect sustainable, multi-generational family businesses has gained an immediacy that seems unthinkable only a few weeks ago. Aside from her work with the AFF, Titi Mutendi is an entrepreneur, Montessori educationalist and a family business expert with NACA Legacy Planning. She is on the ground working with family businesses in her community across Africa as they grapple with the unprecedented disruption felt globally. Enjoy this episode with Nike and Titi. Nika Tsitsi, welcome to the Family Business Voice. It's really
2: great to have you both in these very special times, very particular times, very particular circumstances that we're connecting over here. We'll focus our conversation today, obviously, on the situation that we're dealing with, with a particular focus on Africa and how African family businesses are going to be facing this challenge, in your opinion, and what you think is a likely scenario to pan out here. But first, tell us a little bit more about AFF, so the organization that you founded for African family firms, because I think it's important to underline here why the continent has not been really catered to. I mean, we're very active in Northern Africa, but I think that uh, Sub-Saharan Africa especially has been neglected with regards to the topic. Um, Maybe tell us a little bit more about the motivation behind why you've created the association, and then we will probably move on into a direction of more current events.
3: So AFF was founded as an organization to represent African family businesses. We found ourselves in a space as family businesses, first gen, second gen, with no representation and no network that we could tap into that was specific for family businesses on the continent. As you may know, coming into Africa, trying to do research in Africa and businesses in Africa, sometimes you have to be country-specific And um, even then, sometimes it's hard to really find the businesses and identify them as family businesses. But most businesses, as we've learned, are family-owned or have some aspect of family behind them. So in these lonely journeys we've had, uh, we found that we needed to start creating a space where family businesses get more recognition for the contribution that they make to the different economies, as well as get a space where they can network, learn from each other, and start setting best practices so that when we are dealing with the world and going out there as African family businesses, we are in line with what's happening globally as much as we are in line with what's happening on the continent and creating opportunities for other businesses on the continent.
2: And and so just to give our listeners a little bit of context here. So you you guys are obviously you're positioned in very different countries in Africa. So Titi, you're in Zimbabwe, uh, Nika, you're in Nigeria. When you came together to work on the association, can you give us a little bit of an idea of what were the most um, marked differences and commonalities that you found between family businesses in Zimbabwe and their challenges and opportunities, as well as the ones in Nigeria? What was that discussion like, Nike, when you exchanged with Siti and like what were the commonalities and the differences
0: that you discovered? Actually, I think we've probably seen a lot more commonalities than differences in terms of businesses in Nigeria vis-a-vis Zimbabwe, I think what is important about Africa is Africa is so diverse, Africa is so heterogeneous. So in Nigeria alone, with 200 million people, we have 250 ethnic groups. And so cultures really differ from different regions across the continent. So I think that's what will impact on the diversity the most in terms of the cultures of the different um, people. But by and large, the struggles of family businesses across the continent are quite uniform. The issues surrounding sustainability, passing on the baton from first to second generation, tend to be um, quite difficult across the continent. In Nigeria, we have only 2% that will survive beyond Generation 1. Unfortunately, in most other African countries, we don't have much data. But the anecdotal data suggests it's probably consistent with that 2%.
2: The current situation is, I think, adding a type of challenge that is now, I think it's very rare that we can sit here and talk about a challenge that is universal and in absolute terms. I think that makes this a very special time in history, in human history, because it's very rare for us to be joined in this struggle against something so difficult by everyone in the world. So I think this pandemic Uh, Is very humbling in that respect that this is definitely not the kind of thing that you can just term to be a problem of a certain region or a certain country or a certain continent. It concerns us all and it's impacted us all and it's reached Africa as well. We've had a podcast episode with stakeholders from the Middle East and from Italy as well to talk about the different reactions you've seen around you. I think it would be very interesting for us to hear from you guys what were the first sort of like reactions in the private sector that you saw when it became clear that this wasn't gonna go away and that it was going to hit African countries just as much as the rest of the world? What kind of reactions did you see? Like, you know, if you can give us a bit of the, the best and the worst of, of, of the reactions that you've seen, maybe Titi uh, starting out in, and more in the South and, and telling us more about what, what you've seen there.
3: I think given the statistics that have been on the ground and what's been happening um, and the time frame. Up to now, there's a lot of denial from a lot of businesses right now. It's almost like in their minds, there's a lot of, it's not our problem yet, because it hasn't gotten here as impactfully as it has in other countries. And it's only a matter of time. It's in this quiet period that um, of passes on. And so a lot of businesses you find that are operating business as usual. And the uniqueness of Africa is that you have a lot of low-income people. A lot of family businesses service these people. They have um, their businesses in high-density areas. They have their businesses in the middle-density areas. And so people have been going on as business as usual. But as of yesterday, when we lost our first individual to code, it, the shock setting, the realization that we're not immune, the realization that business is going to be affected whether we like it or not. So for me, I own a, a school business and only last week did we get directive that we were closing schools. And I think it was in a space where for the longest time, even for myself, I would say I knew Corona was there. I knew it was happening, but it hadn't come so close to home. And the realization that, okay, this month might be the last month that I have a stable income as a business because Mm -hmm. my business is a service business. I have to be providing services for parents to keep their children educated. And my teachers have to be on the ground providing services for them to get paid. And so now it's trying to understand how many of our parents are actually online. Can we do remote learning? And I I think so many businesses now are in a space where they don't know because they weren't prepared. Mentally, they weren't prepared in terms of their systems and procedures. It's a very dark phase for us where there's a lot of gray areas and we actually don't know are we going to be able to have businesses a month from Mm. now two months from now and people are still in denial because they're hoping that after maybe a month or a few weeks it's going to blow over the realization hasn't set in that it could be a couple of months.
2: And Nika, on, on your end similar reactions in your area?
0: Yeah, I mean, first, we had the impact of the economic downturn globally on us in Nigeria because we're an oil exporting country, right? So when oil dropped down to the 20s, already it was doom and gloom for the economy because Nigeria was already running a budget deficit. And so there was a bit of panic in the business community and it mm-hmm. flashbacks to 2015. But I think just like CC mentioned, in Zimbabwe, we were a bit in um, denial about the reality of the virus actually coming into the country and spreading and infecting people. I think we're now at 34 cases, one death. The chief of staff to the president has it. The ex-vice president's son has it and is in hospital currently. And now businesses are being forced to shut down. So, in um, Lagos, there was a circular by the government to shut down restaurants, bars, schools, churches, mosques. And businesses are now like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen for? How long will this be for? And unfortunately, most family businesses this side of the world face liquidity issues, liquidity challenges. And it's literally hand to mouth. And even for the business owners, so it's there's a lot of anxiety now. Where am I going to get my next bunch of money from? And like Sissy alluded to, you're then having so many middle-income, low-income people that are dependent on you. Very different in Europe and very different in North America where there's a welfare system, where Trump said he would give out $1,000 per head per month. I would love that in this side of the world. We don't have that. And if we think about the lower-income people, they cannot practice social distancing. They don't have <laughs> homes where they each have a room to go to. So the extent to the impact of coronavirus on the continent will not be comparable to in other sides of the world, especially when we then add on to it the lack of available health care, lack of affordable health care. So the business community is panicking. Definitely in, in Lagos, in other parts of the country, I can't speak about. I know we've had some cases in other states and in Abuja as well, we've had some cases. Business owners are now quite worried about what does this mean? How long will this be for? How will we get through the season?
2: So, yeah. So a few things that you've both said, I think were very interesting here that deserve follow up discussion. Nika, maybe from one of the more recent remarks that you've made right now, in terms of the duration of this, that being a very determining factor in the actual survival of many businesses. Mm. So how long do you have cash for? How long do you have reserves for? How long can you pay your people, retain your people? That being one, but also the really fundamental question of whether there is a return to normal possible, like after this. So are we even talking about there being a return to business as usual at any point in time. And I would dare to say that for many industries, that's a big no. What do you think here is the opportunity? Like, aside from the real devastation that we understand is coming our way in terms of businesses and, and what it's going to mean to them, but where's the opportunity here? How can family businesses turn this around into something after the panic subsides, turn it around into something that can potentially lead them forward into a change that can benefit? many people around them as well, but maybe in a different way. What do you think has to happen and, and what direction could be taken?
0: I think family businesses need to digitalize in this season. Um, it's a necessity to thrive, whether it's the sales marketing activities, whether it's the delivery of e-services, for instance, city school, they probably go into e-learning and um, engaging the children through electronic means and things like that. Also, I think it's important for family businesses to engage the virtual services community. Um, Tia and I were having this conversation the other week about how I think the world will realise that there are efficient ways of working that don't necessarily mean we need to be Mm. face-to-face. It's socially isolating, um, but there is a place still for virtual services having workers in different countries just working virtually using the blessing of the internet, which we have. So I think we're going to see more of um, those type of models. But more importantly, I think we've all learned the lesson and that is we all felt protected
2: yeah.
0: and we all had a full sense of security by the world's systems, which apparently are quite vulnerable to attack, whatever that mm-hmm. attack may be. And we've been preaching the sermon of you need to foolproof the future of your family business. And whilst it all took the whole world by storm, this virus and impacted on everybody across society. I think the importance of family businesses diversifying and just having a pot of wealth that you know, they have access to in instances such as this. So yes, you may still have to lay off workers because there's little economic activity in your business, but at least the family has someone to rely upon. And we, in this side of the world, family businesses are so important in economic development because of the employment. Employ low-income and middle-income people who are so susceptible to poverty. Our roles in communities, quite often business owners take active roles in the villages they come from, they'll build a school, or they'll build a hospital, build a road, and all these mm. really promote social and economic development. So if a family is protected, communities are protected, actually. So I think it's important, a lesson for family businesses to really become resilient. So whilst we may have been, you know, completely surprised by this, okay, we can rebuild again. Because we are very resilient of people as family businesses. And we can build, again, on stronger foundations, bearing in mind that setbacks will happen from time to time. Titi, what is your view of it? Like, What do you think should be the way forward and the priorities for businesses at this stage?
3: I think I agree with what Nikia was saying in terms of for, for too long, especially on the African continent, we have been too dependent on physical presence in terms of business. We haven't digitalized as much as we have needed to. The aspect of working remotely is something that has been forced upon us because of this pandemic, but a lot of businesses were never ready. We don't have the right facilities in terms of even service providers that provide for us in the digital space. And family businesses in Africa, instead of being microscopic in their viewpoint, They need to, they've now been washed into a macroscopic situation and they need to be aware that they're part of the world in general. And sometimes situations like this that affect the whole world can come and find themselves at your doorstep and your business has to be ready like any other global business to be prepared to serve the community. And also, I think as family businesses, we need to, start thinking around the fact that we've depended so much on politics and dependent so much on um, the government providing for us and our communities that we've made it other people's problems for too long and said, so, you know, if the government isn't doing this, the government isn't doing that. And now when we're faced with a situation like this, where we are not prepared as a community, where family businesses haven't actually come together and forth, right, it's if the government is not servicing us how can we as strong economic players start servicing our communities and they could have been ready our Mm. communities could have been ready family businesses could have ensured that this is a community i serve if they're being impacted means i'm being impacted how can i make sure that i am doing more instead of just waiting for governments? and i think especially in Africa, we do know that a lot of government can be highly incompetent. And that leaves us very much exposed. And as family businesses, we are as competent as our governments. Mm -hmm. If we say we are only worried about the dollars and cents that we're making as our clients or our customers walk through the door, we're going to be left in more situations like this where we are exposed because... The communities we serve are part of an ecosystem. For family businesses to exist, it's because of these communities. How can we make sure that they are tech savvy? How can we make sure that our businesses are tech savvy? We have to start looking at it as a 360-degree solution and something that is very, very pertinent to business sustainability after this whole situation comes to some sort of flat line.
2: It's interesting you both talk about the level of denial this was met with in the first instance, and also now about where the responsibility lies in the perception of people and where it actually should lie, right? Like so there's a real discrepancy between, I guess, uh, people's perceptions and people's, you know, uh, usual way of dealing with challenges and the reality of a pandemic, which absolutely, as we said before this call, is a universal equalizer uh, something that concerns us all that can catch anyone any level of society is concerned the ramifications are different though as you said before but i think just to to focus a little bit on this whole culture of denial and responsibility now there's a whole host of people today scientists leaders etc who've actually been warning of this for many years Mm. and and i find that particularly interesting now i'm not saying that we should all always be operating on the worst case scenario assumption, but mm. with an entirely globalized system like we're operating in today or have been for many years, there was a real possibility of this happening. And there, there are many, like now all of these TED Talks emerge of people having said that like, you know, five, six years ago, and it's very interesting to see that in hindsight is a wonderful thing, of course. But I think, why do we have that level of denial in especially in parts of the world where we are as you said even more vulnerable to the consequences and and i think this really speaks to a whole host of issues with with culture and how we communicate also nika you're a very big advocate of how the next gen is being integrated into the family business which might have a much higher alertness to certain to certain issues or just these digitalization uh, issues that we have right now so why do you think We have this level of denial in particularly vulnerable parts of the world. And why is it so hard for us to actually understand that at any given moment in time, this is a possibility? And that means that at any given moment in time, as family businesses, we should be prepared. What do you think is the biggest obstacle, maybe mentally and culturally, here that we're facing?
0: Over here, I would say culture. And we don't like to acknowledge death and Mm -hmm. plan or think about death as a people, which makes succession planning difficult and definitely makes discussions around a pandemic even more difficult. Mm. We um, hide under faith and ascribe all responsibility to a being that can't be seen who will save us from that day. So, so all is well, God day, you know, we've prayed about it and everything will be fine. For instance, last week, I had to sort out my son and mine's passport. and we were in the passport office, and the lady that was assisting me came up to me, embraced me, me looking at her in pure shock. She says to me, oh, they say we shouldn't be touching each other in this pandemic, but... And I was literally just like... You are joking. She's like, oh, God, day. Wow. And I was just like, you are joking. So I literally got out my Clorox wipes and I wiped down my entire body. <laughs> and I was like, you can carry on with your foolishness, but I will not, you know, um, operate by that. So I think as a people, we don't like to acknowledge um, death, mm. that it will happen that we need to, we have a responsibility towards catering for our loved ones in the instance that it happens. Mm-hmm. We have a responsibility to plan and avert it such that it does not happen. We tend mm-hmm. to, as a people, we tend to live day by day, day by day. Businesses tend to just take it day by day. Very few businesses over here have strategic plans, long-term strategic plans. So I think that's the reason why. Interesting, Titi. Would you agree
2: with that, or do you see another dimension to it as well?
3: I absolutely agree with everything um, they have said, and I think just to add to what she's saying, it's that um, given what we're facing right now, and um, family businesses being um, a unique entity as they are, we in Africa, one of our biggest problems is the fact that we don't have that transition from founder to next gen going on as effectively as it should. And most of the founders, usually in Africa, we have a lot of issues, especially when it comes to health. Um, We have a lot of underlying medical conditions. Mm. And so the denial that most founders, I think we found when we are speaking to them, they do not want to speak about succession and next gen because they feel they're facing their own mortality. And there's some mind frame that we have Especially on the continent, that we don't deal with death until death comes to us. Hmm. And at this moment, death is on our doorstep. The mm-hmm. bigger question will be how many African family businesses are going to be left without founders? Mm-hmm. Hmm. People feel like if you get coded, you are being blamed for it. So that's, if you attach it to denial, Mm -hmm. everybody says, I don't have it. So I'm not taking any precautionary measures because it's not going to happen to me. And also the issue of if somebody was in contact with someone who had it, it's, they're not willing to say, you know what, please check yourself because I was in contact with this person or there is a possibility because they feel there's a blame game. When the truth is, Like you said, about 80% of the global population will get it. At the moment, we're trying to curb it, self-isolate. Don't use denial as a benchmark. Don't use denial as something that's going to protect you.
2: It's strange how both the things that you've talked about, such important things to acknowledge about and yours isn't the only culture that has this challenge like we know that there, there are many cultures around the world that face exactly this problem of denial of um you know towards death and and etc and also there's a huge communication gap between the generations as a consequence because planning seems like it's disrespectful towards uh the elders which from a business perspective of course makes absolutely no sense at all and is, is, is very uh, deeply uh unpragmatic but it doesn't it boil down almost to a much more fundamental question of a leadership challenge that we face? I think what we're seeing now emerge here with this pandemic is it really underlines in which areas we have big leadership gaps as a society. And I'm applying this globally. I feel like absolutely nobody is excluded from this. And I think this current crisis is highlighting it very universally and is also, really um, making it impossible for anyone to deny that there are leadership challenges in all parts of the world, at all levels, whether it be political, private sector, uh, societal, religious, you know. Because, of course, leadership in times of crisis is, is key. It's it's mm-hmm. what people look to. It's where people set the example. And and so many leadership instances have failed in the early uh, stages of this pandemic. And so many leadership uh, instances have absolutely Fail to do the right thing or early enough, at least in this instance. So, when we look at it from the leadership challenge perspective, for the two of you, when you look at what kind of future leadership we will need to survive this crisis, but also to go onwards into the economy that will follow this pandemic, because we all know that it's very unlikely to for anyone to emerge unscathed, and for anyone to return to business as usual is extremely unlikely by this point in time. What kind of leadership? do we want in African family businesses? Like what kind of type and style of leadership is required to A, get us back on track or get us into, direct us into a new future model and B, to make sure that it's the kind of leadership that next time something like this happens, that there is more preparedness and less denial. What would you say?
0: I think firstly, we need leaders that are resilient emotionally because... I say it takes one operating from a sand mine to actually know how to take action in, in the event of crisis like this, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't need leaders that you know, hide in their caves, you know, um, are so under the pressure that they you know, buckle under pressure. We need leaders that are able to see in the midst of the bleak um, situation, opportunities and future opportunities. We need leaders that communicate so I've been in instances of crisis where, as a leader, there's this tendency to put a pressure on yourself to know what the next plan is. But there's some instances where you don't know where the next, what will happen, right? But you still have a responsibility to those that you need to communicate with them, mm. right? This is what is going on. These are the different eventualities, different you know, contingencies. And what do you feel? It's important that the followers feel that um, there's empathy for what it is they're going through because they're going through a lot as well. Um, It's not just about the business, and about the leader. I think this next generation have a lot of work on their hands. We need leaders that truly serve the people. Mm -hmm. Clearly, like you alluded to, we've had a failure of leadership across the globe. We've had leaders that haven't served the best needs of the people. Our culture globally has been high on steroids and just running like materialism and capitalist machines. And now the machine has packed up and we're forced, like Titi mentioned, we're on timeout. The whole <laughs> world is on timeout. <laughs> and we forced to reflect what did we do wrong? Why are we here? We're, we're grounded. here because I, we're, we're grounded. grounded. We're literally <laughs> we're grounded. grounded. We failed the people. We failed to prioritize what mattered. We prioritized what didn't matter. So the next generation, we need leaders that serve the people. We need leaders that are emotionally resilient. We need leaders that communicate and to encourage empathy. We must demonstrate empathy in seasons such as this. Yeah, beautiful.
3: I think, up from what Nikita is saying, I, I made a post on Instagram a few days ago, and I was taking, for example, what I usually say to my students at this school that I have. And I always say to the parents and the students that adult time out is jail. So when we time out kids and we put them in the corner and we get them to reflect about their actions and we tell them what they have done is wrong, some parents think it's a punishment and they think that children shouldn't be punished and they shouldn't be timed out. And I always say to them, here yeah, we believe that discipline is essential. Because children need time to think about their actions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they need to reflect on it. If you refuse time out, you're going to have a problem when they grow up. When they time you out, they take you away from society and they put you in a small room and they get you to think about your actions. And so at this moment, when we have this situation as the whole planet, we are being put in the naughty corner. And we're getting a huge time out where we're being told that we need to think everything that has been said about climate change, everything that has been said about we're not, we're too connected. We're not disconnecting. Mm. We're not self caring. We're not looking after ourselves or each other or the planet that we live in. We're just taking everything for granted. This now has been put at our doorstep and we've been given plenty of time and everything has been shut down. I mean, never in the history of my life have I, have I ever thought an airline as big as Emirates would ground its feet. Uh, countries across the globe would shut down their borders. It's a huge time out. It's a space where we are all now forced to rethink the things that we thought were important. Mm-hmm. And more so during this time, what's coming out as critical is family we are turning to our loved ones to find out, are they okay? What's going on with them? We're given space to spend with those loved ones we usually wouldn't want to spend time with because we're confined in the same space for endless hours to just work it out. And so it's now important that when we emerge from this, each one takes responsibility and more so we start identifying leaders who understand what self-care is who mm-hmm. understand that we don't need to get to a point of the ultimate time out for us to actually time out as individuals, as nations, as a planet. We don't need to get to a point where we're all grounded, that we start realizing what effects everything that we're developing, everything that we're doing has on the planet and on other people. And we are no longer at a space in time where, we can disconnect and leaders can say, it's not my problem, it's another country's problem or it's the next person's problem. In family businesses, in as nations, we now are faced with the fact that we are interconnected. Mm-hmm. Whatever we do will affect the next person. It's not just me, it's everybody. And I think this situation has just brought us to a space where We can no longer choose leaders that are self-serving, but we need to have leaders, even in our businesses, that we know will look after the communal good. Because it's no longer individual, it's now communal. It's no longer that jail time out. It's now, Earth has been shut down and you can't get on a, a jet or you can't get on a spaceship and try the moon or Mars or anything else. You just have to sit it out.
2: It's a time for reflection, no doubt. Both of you, thank you very much for giving us food for thought in this time where we are grounded and we we don't really have a choice. Thank you for joining us both from your respective places. Uh, We Again, we take this platform also to express again our concern for everyone uh, affected by COVID-19 around the world. We hope you all keep well. We hope you all keep safe. Please stay home, isolate, be responsible around the world. It is extremely important to keep everyone safe and to get out of this situation as quickly and as wisely and as mindfully as possible uh, thank you ladies very much and uh, stay safe
1: thank you for listening to the family business voice subscribe to our channels now on itunes TuneIn, stitcher or spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes